0: On 89.9 The Light, you're in a community conversation with Clayton and uh, during this time uh, we're here in Melbourne, we are going through some pretty tough stuff with uh, uh, some pretty severe lockdown. We know that uh, stories of mental illness, uh, hope as people are trying to get their way through are so, so important. And so it is an absolute pleasure to talk to a lady who has gone through more than anyone should ever really have to go through. She's the author of the book Fear Gone Wild. She joins us from the States via Zoom, Kayla Stackline. How are you, Kayla?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well, and it's an absolute pleasure to have a chat to you. Uh, I'm somebody who has been advocating for discussions on the airways around depression, around mental illness for many, many years, and have been doing so uh, for a long, long time. And I think your story is uh, one of great sadness, but you have also uh, desired very deeply from all my reading of, of you and your story to uh, speak into the hope and to talk about these sorts of things more publicly. Um, have, have I, you know, sort of summarized where you're currently sitting fairly?
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely. You know, I took the worst thing that's ever happened to me and I'm really hoping that um, I can squeeze some good out of it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, could we maybe start with the story of what did actually occur? And and then we can, uh, I suppose, start exploring um, some of the the negative sides of what's occurred for your life and what what happens in grief, but then also some of that hope. Could you start by sharing the story with us?
1: Yeah. So, you know, a few years ago, I was living my dream life. I absolutely loved my life. I had everything I could have ever asked for and more. I was married to my dream guy. His name was Andrew and we were leading a church together and we had three little boys and life was good. Um, it was really a huge honor to be a pastor's wife. I found so much purpose in being a pastor's wife. Um, you know, my his calling became my calling, his purpose, my purpose. I found my little niches and Industry and loved it. And then in the fall of 2017, is kind of when things started to change. He started experiencing panic attacks that were really kind of came out of nowhere, and he was having them three to four times a week, and they were very debilitating, very terrifying. And we were seeing doctors trying to get to the bottom of why these were happening. And so it took months. It took months testing and Basically, in um, April of 2018, he had a massive panic attack that landed him in the hospital, and we all just decided, like, enough is enough. This guy has been leading strong. He was speaking at the church through that whole season, showing up. He'd have a panic attack in the green room and then show up and speak anyway. Mm. And so he was really and, pushing through a lot.
0: And, Kayla, the different panic attacks can be different things for, for different sure. people. What was the panic attacks for him about
1: Yeah, you know, they were very debilitating. Um, They would mostly happen when he would try to fall asleep at night. But as they progressed, they would start happening during the day as well. But it was this full – body experience. It would take over his whole body. It would start in his chest. He'd have a really intense pain, almost like a heart attack in his chest. And then it would spread throughout his body. Um, His eyes would glaze over, his pupils would dilate, his extremities would go numb. It really was like this raging fear, this untouchable, uncontrollable raging fear. It's where I got the title for the book, Fear Gone Wild. It's like what I feel like he was experiencing and it was actually a definition that I found for panic attacks was fear gone wild. And so, you know, that's what it was like for him Um, and and it, and I couldn't touch it. So I would see, I would look in his eyes when he was having a panic attack and his eyes would be completely glazed over and we just kind of have to wait it out for the panic attack to subside and for it to go away because he was inaccessible when he was having those panic attacks. There was nothing anybody could do to touch that raging fear happening inside of his body.
0: Yeah um as you were talking in it sorry just to clarify for that one uh, you were talking about you you founded this the the worst of the panic attacks and and ended up in hospital
1: yeah and so that was kind of when we decided like enough is enough maybe he needs to take a break all the blood work all the tests we were doing trying to figure out why these were happening was all coming back normal there was nothing abnormal nothing strange on the test and so we're like okay if it's nothing like physically, then like what is going on? What is causing these panic attacks? How come they're not going away? And so we put him on the sabbatical is what we call it in ministry, he took a break from work. And just two weeks into that sabbatical, um, we were sitting in a psychiatrist's office and he was diagnosed with depression. And he was really relieved to have a diagnosis. He was relieved to finally know what was causing those panic attacks. And he and the doctor were both very confident that he was gonna bounce right back, that he was on the low end of the spectrum, that it wasn't a big deal with rest and medication and time off work and therapy. He would be back to himself in no time and back to work in no time. And so, you know, that summer we were really truly doing everything we knew to do to get him better. He was seeing a um, psychiatrist every other week. He was taking medicine. Dedication. We were seeing a therapist together for two hours every week. He went on a solo trip by himself, like multiple times, to go spend time in solitude. He spent time with mentors. Like, we really were doing everything we knew to do. And by August, we thought he was getting better, and the doctors thought he was getting better as well. So they released him to go back to work, and he hit the ground running and gave two. Powerful messages at our church on mental illness. He was talking about depression, talking about panic attacks, gave out the suicide hotline number, gave out suicide statistics. Like he really knew all the facts and he was trying to use his own personal story as an example to help people. Headed into the third weekend, he had his message ready to go for Sunday and he ended up having a really bad day in the office. And, you know, it's all I could describe it as an episode, this like mental episode and it kind of was a big red flag for us that maybe he's not well. Maybe he, maybe he wasn't ready to go back to work. You know, maybe he needs more time to heal. And so we while we were away from him for a little bit, trying to take the next right steps, trying to call people, maybe find an inpatient place to take him, while we were away, he attempted suicide. And we were completely shocked and completely stunned. Like we really, truly never saw it coming. Even the team of doctors that was surrounding him was shocked and stunned. And so he was rushed to the hospital and they ran a bunch of tests and there was nothing that they could do. And he, so he passed away on October, uh, sorry, on August 25th, 2018, he passed away and my life was changed forever. Um, I was handed a brand new life as a single mom to three young boys. They were two, four and five at the time. And all of a sudden I'm a widow. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Um, The, the, as we we sort of mentioned that no one would ever want to step through this story, but there was a phrase you'd use just at the end there, Kayla, when you said I was handed a brand new life. Um, I think if I was to describe it, I would have said, I was left with all of what this was, but you used the phrase. I was handed a brand new life was, was my sense is that's something that you've understood and, and, and you're walking into. Was that something that you had that sort of, um, concept of looking at it like that from the first moment or was it, oh my goodness, I was left with all of this at the start. um, And and now I have to deal with all of the grief and the bringing of the kids and the questioning of, did we do something wrong? And what's occurred? And could I have done something? Where were you actually at at that that first moment?
1: You know, those first few weeks and those first few months were so traumatic that it's it's been a journey to get to where I am today. Um, but with suicide, there's just so many regrets. It's such a different kind of pain. It's such a different kind of loss and grief. And, you know, the people that love that person the most are left in a sea of regrets. Um, a coulda, shoulda, woulda. If, you know, in my mind, my mind came up with a million different ways to save him. So all day, every day for weeks, um, my mind was just trying to save him. And it would be all throughout the day. And while I was sleeping at night, you know, these nightmares of trying to save him. And the reality is like, we all loved him so much. He was surrounded by love. He was surrounded by support was to describe his death as like a child Drowning in a swimming pool at a birthday party like they are surrounded by people that love them and we just missed it We really truly had no idea how much pain he was in. And that's what suicide is. You know, it's the result of this overwhelming underlying pain. It's not a choice. I don't even see it as a choice that Andrew made. I see it as something happened to that happened to him because of his overwhelming pain. And so it's been this journey to get to like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened to me. Like I cannot believe God allowed this, my you know, my faith. Like I cannot believe God allowed this to happen to me. I cannot believe You know, at first, like I cannot believe Andrew did this to me, like I cannot believe this happened. And it's been a journey to get to I was handed this life. And, um, you know, and I think embracing that and accepting that. And that's the grief journey is, is accepting um, the reality of the pain that we're handed. And you know, for me, I have this little mantra that I um, say a lot, it's rebuilding beautiful. And so I have this really horrific pain um, that, I, that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. Until I'm old and gray, I will carry this pain of Andrew's death with me for the rest of my life. But I really truly believe that it is possible to build a beautiful life around that pain. And so I embrace that pain. I know it's a part of me. I know it's part of my children and it's going to be a part of their lives as they grow up. But I also truly deeply believe that we can still have joy and that we can still have a beautiful life. Yeah.
0: We're going to talk more in the next couple of moments uh, about that, how, how to actually then step forward and, and maybe for you, uh, you've experienced somebody who has um, left you because of suicide has left your situation, this world for you, or maybe it's a mental illness situation, or maybe it's someone, you know, who is just struggling right now uh, with depression. We're going to talk more about uh, understanding some of that beauty with Kayla Stackline in just a moment. She's the author of the book, fear gone wild. We're speaking to her here on 89.9 The Light in conversation with Clayton. The Light in Community Conversation with Clayton, and we're having a chat uh, over to the states of the author of the book, Fear Gone Wild. Kayla Stackline is my guest. We've heard the story and uh, we do appreciate you sharing uh, what occurred, Kayla. I'm sure each time you do share the story of your husband's um, passing through suicide, it, it is something that uh, must uh, hurt to even share that um and as you've you've talked about you you are trying to find and, and are choosing to find the beauty around the pain uh, and I, I loved your description just a few moments ago saying that pain's always going you're not pretending that it's going to suddenly disappear by hard work or just effort or prayer even um it's going to always stay there it's now finding the, the beauty around that um could you talk about um I suppose the the first thing that I I go to as someone who has three kids as well is um, how do you, um, even in this first instance, realize and start caring for yourself and your kids at the same time? How did you actually step into that role?
1: yeah um i actually waited a week to tell my boys i was in so much shock and so much trauma that i had my dad keep them for the week and i spoke with child life specialists and i read some articles and read some books and wanted to make sure that i approached the conversation the right way especially because it was suicide so i waited a week and i actually also um cleaned out our house i cleaned out his side of the closet. I cleaned out his shoes from the garage. I wanted the information I was sharing with my kids to match our environment. I didn't want them to think that their daddy was coming back. So I did all of that and then they came home and I sat them down and explained to them that their daddy did something that caused him to die and that he's not coming back and he's in heaven with Papa and we're going to see him again one day. Um, and you know, it's been this journey with them. It's, it's gonna be a lifelong journey. They were so little when it happened and they're still little, you know, today they're seven, six and four. Um, so they're still very young and it's gonna be this journey as they grow and as they have more questions and as they better understand. Um, and I really wrote the book for them. You know, my heart is that they'll pick up the book one day and we can read it together and talk about what happened together and talk about their dad together and that they will really truly see through those pages that he fought hard to stay. So I think the best thing I did for my own self-care and my own mental health and my own grief um, in those first few months is I actually put my three boys in school full time and that might seem a little unconventional um, but i really needed space i needed space to grieve i needed space to figure out life i needed space to figure out now who i was apart from my husband and so and they needed they needed routine they needed consistency they needed people that were going to care for them and love them and be there for them and it really helped me to have the space that i needed to be a good mom in that season it gave me time to pour back into myself, to read books, to go to therapy, to spend time at the cemetery, to spend time with friends, to spend time writing this book that I wrote. Um, It really gave me that time to heal. Um, And it also gave them time to just be kids, you know, just to be normal kids and not be surrounded every day um, by a weeping, really broken mom. And so I don't try to hide those things from them. Um, I cry with them. We talk about Andrew all the time. They talk about their dad all the time. I would say that loss is part of who we are as a family. They're growing up with the reality of one parent in heaven and one parent on earth. And that is a very clear reality to them. And it's normal to them Mm. almost, you know, now, but they're so resilient. Um, They really are my little superheroes and I wouldn't be where I am today without them. Like they have been the greatest joy in my grief and they give me a reason every single day to pull back the covers and get out of bed.
0: Yeah. I know that one of uh, your hearts is also to talk to people to say, it's okay to not be okay if you're the mum or the dad in this situation too, not just uh, you have to hold on and and pretend like there's nothing wrong. Could could you talk into that a little bit more that, and you've already mentioned it somewhat there, but it's it's okay for you not to be okay, even Mm -hmm. for the boys.
1: You know, I think it's modeling, um, that, that emotions aren't meant to harm us. Like God created us as emotional beings. Like we all have real human emotions. And I think when I allow myself to experience those emotions, even when my boys are around, there was a few weeks ago, we were actually touring some homes. We're in the process of moving. And we were touring some homes and um, they're brand new homes. And my husband and I had lived in a brand new home at one point. And so it all just reminded me of him. And this big wave of grief came rushing in and we got in the car to go back to our home. And I just broke down in tears, like absolutely cr- like weeping, crying so hard. I couldn't even talk. And they all, they all knew I was crying. And I told them, you know, I'm just really open and honest with them. And I told them like, you know, those walking through those homes today made me miss daddy. Like everything that I saw just reminded me of daddy. Remember that house that we had together reminded me of that house. And, you know, I really miss daddy. I miss him so much and I wish he was here and I wish he was doing life with us. And so expressing that emotion instead of trying to hide it from them instead of getting home and closing my bedroom door and crying by myself and then wiping off the makeup and my dripping mascara from my face and walking back out and acting like everything's okay you know i'm modeling for them that it's okay to feel emotions that emotions are good for us that we should welcome those emotions and that they don't have to destroy us and it's okay to feel them and embrace them and so when they have hard days too it's like i snuggle up with them and ask them about their pain. You know, what are you missing about daddy today? And what do you think about this? And, you know, they, they, I think it helps them feel open. Like they can share their pain too, because I'm sharing my pain with them and that I'm a human being, like mom isn't superwoman. Mom doesn't have it all together. Like I am just as broken and just as human as they are. Um, And I think it's just modeling like emotional maturity to them. Mm -hmm. And, um, we don't have to ever hide our pain. We don't ever have to hide our feelings. Like we get to be open with each other.
0: Yeah. I, I think um, as you're sharing, it's it's so encouraging for so many to uh, perhaps have some some guideposts of how to talk about life uh, to be okay about expressing that. And we do want to ask you in a few minutes time, Kayla, to keep sharing some more ideas for us to of how we can help each other, whether it's through grief, whether it's through talking about depression and mental illness, and we'll we'll get to those in a couple of moments time. I did want to ask one question around um, the, the the faith and understanding of faith. You have a, a trust in Jesus. As you said, you were, you were uh, leading this church with your, your husband as well. And, you know, we read verses in the Bible, things like, uh, all things work for good for those who love the Lord according to his purpose, things like that. And, and we sort of say, look, how do we put a verse like that up against your life? And, and you say, how do these marry together for you? How do those things work together for you? I'm sure that you've, um, I don't know if it's called questioning God or or, or whatever it might be. I'm I'm guessing, you know, you've probably gone through that process. How do you put those two things together?
1: It's been a wrestle. Um, I describe it as this wrestling with God, you know, since it happened. Um, He was a pastor and he was a good man and he was running to God in his pain. There were so many times during his mental health journey I would come into the bedroom and he'd be blasting worship music and these big headphones that he would have on and he'd be weeping and worshiping and running to God. And so it was so frustrating. It's still frustrating. Like, why, God, did you allow this to be filtered through your hands? And I will never be able to answer that question. I'll, I'll never know. Um, it's so mysterious and I'll never know why God allowed this to happen. But he did. He didn't heal Andrew, this side of heaven, he healed him in heaven. And so it's this constant wrestle with God, you know, and there's some days where I'm where I'm really mad at God and I'm yelling at God and I'm frustrated with God and I tell him this is too much. Like I did not sign up for this. I signed up to do life with my husband. I signed up to do ministry. I signed up to raise these boys with him, not as a single parent. I didn't have these three boys by myself. Like, this is too much. I didn't ask to be a mental health advocate. Like, I didn't ask to write the book about suicide. Like, I did not ask for this. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why did you hand this to me? And so it's just this honest wrestle. Um, But, you know, God has been so good. And so I can sit back. We have this mantra that um, our family has used through a lot of difficult Things and it's this phrase, God's got this. And um, we made wristbands, we have a little shop that has coffee mugs and sweatshirts and t shirts. And you know, it's been this phrase that's held us up through a really intense leukemia journey that my father in law had. And it's held us up through mental illness with my husband, it's held us up through suicide, and now it's holding us up in our grief. And those three words, God's got this, um, for me, just mean that no matter what we walk through, that we serve a God who is sovereign and we serve a God who can work all things together for good. It doesn't mean all things are good. Andrew's death is not good. I really truly believe that Andrew's death wasn't God's plan A for Andrew's life. Um, But because we're human and because we live on earth, you know, we get, we have free will. We get to make our own Adventure, we get to make our own decisions, and so you know, I don't believe that that was God's plan A for Andrew's life, but I do believe um, that God can still use it for good, and I've seen him do that. You know, three days after my husband passed away, I wrote him this letter, and it was really through that letter that I first began to see the good that God could do. Um, I wrote him this letter, I kind of just changed the way that the world viewed suicide through that letter, and, and it was full of compassion and full of empathy, and I'm so sorry this happened to you, and I'm so sorry for your pain, and I, you know, I'm so sorry that I wasn't there for you, and I'm so sorry you felt so alone. And it was through that letter that I received hundreds of handwritten notes, of direct messages on social media, of emails coming through my email, and people were saying things like, your public grief has saved my life, Andrew's death has saved my life. I was struggling with suicidal thoughts, but I decided to pick up and pick up the phone and reach out after I read the letter that you wrote. My husband checked himself into rehab this morning because of the letter that you wrote." So all these stories were coming in right away within that mm-hmm. first week. And so, you know, I saw right away that even though my pain was overwhelming and I would have never asked for this or wished for this and I would give everything up for Andrew to still be here, I saw right away that God could use this and is using this for good and only God. And so I really sit back, you know, this whole time I've kind of just sat back in the awe and wonder and mystery of all of it. I will never understand any of it, I will never understand why God allowed Andrew to die, and I will never understand how God has used something so horrific for good and to literally save people's lives.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a phenomenal, phenomenal story of the impact of, of what's occurred. May I push on one thing and um, and tell me, hey, just back off here, Clayton, if, sure. if that's not okay. But um, as we talk about those sorts of things, and, and you, you mentioned and you talked about the fact that it was for for good. And we clearly can see that it's for good. Um, Is there a part that you say, yeah, that's for good God, but it's not for my good. Um, How does it become, is there good for you in any of this? Or is it actually the the greater good gets served, um, but not your good?
1: Such a good question. And, you know, I think it is. It's like the sacrifice of the good life that I would have chosen. Um, it's the sacrifice really of Andrew, you know, it's, it cost Andrew's life for all of this good to happen. You know, all of this good wouldn't have happened. This book wouldn't have happened. The lives that have been changed and saved wouldn't have happened if Andrew wouldn't have died. And so for me, it will never be worth it. Any amount of good that will come out of it will never make Andrew's death worth it. And so I would say that it is, it isn't for my good. It is for the greater good. Um, and, I, and I still really believe that this wasn't God's plan A. Like I said, I, I really believe that God had a different kind of good for Andrew, um, but Andrew got sick and sometimes we get sick and sometimes things like this happen and horrible things happen to really good people all of the time.
0: Kayla, are you all right to stick around for a couple more minutes? We want to ask you specifically some helpful hints uh, what, from your, what your perspective is of as we talk about mental illness. Are you all right to stay around for a few more? Sounds great. Excellent. Kayla Stackline is the author of the book Fear Gone Wild. We're hearing her story uh, tonight. We're going to be back and uh, she will help us as we go through uh, some of perhaps our grief or our stresses or, or our strains, our depression, our anxiety, our mental illness that is occurring for us our family. That's on the way next year on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light. to your in community conversation with Clayton and we're having a, a wonderful conversation with Kayla Stackline. She's the author of the book Fear Gone Wild. Uh, we've been hearing her story of uh, a husband who was lost to suicide a, a couple of years ago, uh, raising her three boys and has written this book, written these letters that have impacted as we've heard and literally saved uh, so many other people's lives mm-hmm. because of what uh, the stories that you have shared, uh, Kayla. A couple of questions I want to ask specifically. We know that here in Australia and here in Victoria, where we are, uh, there's been a lockdown for a number of weeks. We know that uh, there's a lot of key concerns around mental health issues and anxiety, depression, um, and these sorts of things. Um, a couple of questions I just wanted to ask you that maybe you can help us from what you've been through. Firstly, uh, around suicide, what are what the key things? we should not be asking somebody. uh, And maybe the key things we should be asking somebody uh, who has lost someone to suicide.
1: Oh, you know, there's so many myths surrounding suicide that I kind of learned, you know, that I had picked up along the way, but then I also just sat with after my husband passed away. Um, Some of those biggest myths are that when somebody dies by suicide, um, they don't get to go to heaven. You know, that's one one big myth. And I would just want to just affirm to anybody that's listening that's lost somebody like that is not true. (laughs) I don't believe that to be true. I believe our salvation um, to be based on our personal relationship with Jesus, not on the way that we die. You know, another big myth about suicide is that suicide is selfish and I'll never forget a conversation that I had with Andrew um, where he had mentioned suicide to me and he had mentioned he was struggling and thinking about suicide and my reaction to his admission was, Andrew, that is the most selfish thing you could ever do. You would never do that to me and the boys. I can't believe you said that. And his response to me was, Kayla, that's not something you say to someone that's telling you they're struggling with Mm -hmm. suicidal thoughts you need to think of something better to say. Mm -hmm. And he was right. And you know what I've learned through my grief journey is that suicide isn't selfish. Um, That's why I use the phrase died by suicide instead of committed suicide. The word committed is a, is a word we use for phrases like committed a sin or committed a murder or committed crime, and all that word does is heap more shame and blame onto the shoulders of the person who died. That's why the phrase died by suicide is the best phrase to use because it clearly sends the message that the death was the result of this underlying physical mental illness that we know nothing about. You know, The mind is mysterious. I'll never forget his psychiatrist telling us we know a drop in the ocean of the brain. You know, I'll never know um, Andrew's overwhelming pain. I'll never know what those moments were like for him leading up to the suicide, but I can choose to have empathy and compassion for him and his pain. And so Those were some of the biggest um, myths that I sat with and that I wanted to debunk right away after he passed away. Um, But I would say, you know, if someone tells you that they're struggling with suicidal thoughts, the best thing that you can do is to lean in, to not react like I did, but to respond with a heart of love, to lean in, to ask questions, questions like, do you have a suicide plan? What problem are you trying to solve through suicide? How often do you think about it? Do you have the means to do it? Um, And I think taking it seriously, any talk of suicide should be taken seriously. And I don't know what helplines you have in Australia, but I'm sure that they're there. You know, reach out to the helplines, text the crisis text lines, you know, reach out for help, ask questions and advocate for them. You know, I never brought the word suicide up again. The word suicide made me feel so uncomfortable that I never brought it up again. I wish I would have asked him about it every single day. I wish I would have felt comfortable saying, hey, are you struggling with suicidal thoughts today? Um, So I would say get comfortable with the word suicide. Ask questions about your loved one that's struggling and reach out for help. Call the therapist, call the doctor, tell them that your loved one is struggling with suicide. Say the word out loud and keep showing up, keep leaning in, keep um, including them, inviting them, reaching out to them, texting them, calling them. Like do not ignore the people that are sitting in pain. Keep trying to reach out and keep trying to be a good friend even if it's not reciprocated.
0: Yeah. And that lifeline is what it's called here in Australia is 13 11 14 is the phone number. And so we are very big advocates of if that is exactly the case for you, call somebody, chat to somebody right now and do that. 13 11 14. Um, Kayla also wanted to ask, um, you know, it's, it's obviously different situations to where you are and, and, and what you have uh, been through with and what you're living with your family at the moment. But um, here in, in Victoria at the moment, there has been a pretty severe lockdown that's occurred for a number of weeks. And um, people are feeling it in that sense in terms of um, trying to, to cope just mentally with uh, life generally. Um, do you have any any tips or, or, or hints or advice of, hey, look, if I feel like I'm struggling, um, or maybe I, I'm sort of sensing someone else is struggling. Mm. Um, What should I be doing to help them?
1: It is such a difficult time. It's been such a difficult year, and especially as a single parent and trying to also be the teacher for young kids and trying to work from home. You know, it is a really interesting time and a really hard, stressful time for a lot of families, too. And so, you know, I would say the best thing that I've, you know, done for my own mental health in this season is giving myself. Aches, um, scheduling the babysitter, going to go sit at the beach and stare at the waves and sit and just sit in the peace of the ocean. I'm um, creating that margin and creating that time to fill ourselves back up. I think this is a season where we're pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, and we're isolated as well. And so I would say keep reaching out, keep finding ways to have community, whether that's via Zoom or Skype or FaceTime. If you can't be with your friends, like keep reaching Reaching out to your friends, keep trying to find ways to do community, find time to decompress, find time to turn off the TV, to spend time in solitude. You know, solitude is different um, than isolation solitude is like intentional time to fill ourselves back up so grab a good book grab a cup of coffee i think in australia you guys have flat whites that are like yeah. so delicious yeah. i've been there one time um, but grab a good cup of coffee and grab a book and go sit somewhere beautiful like create space to fill yourself back up so that you can keep showing up for this season it's unpredictable season
0: yeah that's uh, what's uh, worked for me yeah that's great <laughs> I, I read something just this morning where someone said um if you don't take time to uh, worry about your wellness, you will have to take time to deal with an illness. Um, And and I I thought, uh, you know, what what an interesting way to look at what life is, that we are going to spend time some way, shape or form. So let's uh, help ourselves and help others as we go forward. Um, Kayla, thank you so much for giving so much of your time. Thank you for sharing your story. And as we mentioned at the start, we're sure it's hard to share each time, but... We know that the impact it has occurred. Um, God bless you and the kids. And thank you again for spending time with us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's been such an honor. Thank you.